0: Welcome Irish fans to another edition of the Opponents Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Vince D'Addario, and I am the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown. And Notre Dame is coming off of a 27-13 win over the Duke Blue Devils that was ugly at times and good enough to bring home the first victory of the season. Notre Dame is 1-0 on the season and 1-0 in the ACC, which is just extremely weird to say, but they are 1-0 in conference. So now the Irish turn their attention to their only non-conference opponent this season, the South Florida Bulls. South Florida comes to South Bend for another 2.30 kickoff inside Notre Dame Stadium. The difference this week is the game will not be on NBC like the majority of Irish home games, but will instead air on USA Network due to the U.S. Open being aired on NBC. So make sure you log into irishbreakdown.com for all the up-to-minute updates prior to, during, and after the game. So with me today to talk about the Bulls of South Florida is Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times. Joey, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Vince. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's great to have you. Uh, I'm sure the, uh, the weather down in Tampa is uh, pretty nice right about now, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Nice and muggy, uh, which is far <laughs> for the course. We've got a, a plethora of storms out in the Atlantic, and right. this is just our time of year where where the humidity is kind of at an at an apex, and we're just trying to weather the storm, quite literally.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So l- let's talk a little South Florida football. I mean, new head coach and Jeff Scott, who comes over from Clemson new coaching staff, which obviously for Notre Dame fans includes Charlie Wise Jr. as the offensive coordinator. Just, you know, tell us a little bit about the offseason with the new staff and, uh, you know, where you think this program is headed just based on, I've obviously only been one game, but, you know, the offseason and and with this staff.
1: I think this program's on an upward trajectory, Vince, but it's not going to be straight up vertical. It's going to be a gradual upward trajectory. I think Jeff Scott was totally the right hire, quite candidly, uh, by the athletic director, Michael Kelly. Um, Jeff Scott, obviously his pedigree, having been the co-offensive coordinator at Clemson and on the staff as a receivers coach before that, a Clemson alumnus. uh, He learned under probably the ultimate meticulous organizer in Davos Sweeney. And Jeff just brings that organizational skill USF a program that quite candidly needs it and honestly the program also needed someone who would engage the community and raise money because this is a program in the state of Florida that has no indoor practice facility and there's arguably no state in the Union that screams for indoor facilities for college <laughs> programs more than the state of Florida so they needed a the fundraiser and Jeff Scott is all about going out and engaging the community like I said he's all about organizing you know just he showed me his first meeting our first one-on-one meeting he showed me a thick black binder about the size of a detroit phone book in thickness and it it was clemson's all in manual and he said hey this is has literally nothing to do with x's and o's this is all about how we run our program from the culture to what the hosts are how how they're supposed to connect themselves You know, visits to off-season strength and conditioning schedules, just everything about how we run our program. So that gave me an idea of just how diligent an organizer Jeff Scott is. Uh, he, you know, as you mentioned and alluded to, he brought in a really, what I thought, considering it was the 11th hour, a really high-quality staff, a veteran defensive coordinator in Glenn Spencer, who's been all over the place and Of course, Weiss Jr., who's considered, for lack of a better term, kind of the child prodigy of college football. Sure. Um, You know, and just brought in Daquan Bowers, a former player for the Buccaneers, and at Clemson to be one of his line coaches. And Pat White, who was a great college player, brought him on staff. So he just assembled a really good staff. He salvaged the recruiting class at the 11th. The only downside is it's going to take time. Really strong not leave him with a ton of talent at all the last couple of recruiting classes were candidly kind of modest so this is not going to be an overnight rebuild this is something that's going to require some time and they have to get this football exclusive facility and then indoor practice facility built that takes dollars and that takes fundraising jeff scott is the guy who can do that who can lead them you know to, to where they have these facilities on campus, to where they have solid recruiting classes, to where they're competing for conference titles consistently, but it's going to take time. And right now, they're in the infant stage, and then it, even that infant stage was delayed by, you know, the, the most bizarre summer in college football. <laughs> with everything being shut down due, due to COVID. So, he's, he's gotten, you know, this has been a really rough nine months. And it could get a little rougher this fall just because they, they didn't have a spring and they had a disrupted summer. But I really believe Jeff Scott is the guy to, to lead this program going forward. I think it was a home run hire.
0: So, you well, know, spe- <laughs> speaking of the 11th hour, uh, this game was scheduled rather recently just based on, you know, everything that's going on in the offseason. So you've got a home and away series with Notre Dame um how has the fan base reacted to that are they excited about the fact that they get to come to south bend and that well i guess the fans really don't but mm-hmm. that notre dame will be making a return trip down to raymond james stadium here in the near future oh
1: i think they're gleeful, and this is kind of the mo for for michael kelly the athletic director he has since he has arrived he is scheduled very aggressively in the non-conference now Power five programs or group of five programs that are considered kind of the on the higher end of that group of five ladder. They have different philosophies about their non-conference scheduling. USF has been very aggressive. They think it can only benefit their program to schedule the likes of Alabama and Florida and Miami, uh, all of whom USF is going to be playing in upcoming years. So this is just another another. N- notch in the belt if you will um, kind of a coup for Michael Kelly being able he and Jeff Scott being able to get a, a two for one with Notre Dame in the 11th hour I, I guess the only downside of uh, only thing that bummed USF fans a little bit is they get no cash guarantee for going up there this Saturday um, but the, on you know on the flip side you've got Notre Dame coming to, to Tampa which will uh, Virtually be guaranteed to sell out at Raymond James Stadium, an NFL stadium which holds over 65,000 people. So that will be a that will be a windfall for USF whenever that game is. But, but you know, to answer your original question, the fan base I don't think could be more excited to get another.
0: All right, Joey. So South Florida, uh, you know, they opened the season with a 27-6 win over the Citadel. I watched a little bit of that game. And it appeared to be fairly close throughout. Uh, it looked like uh, you know South Florida pulled away at the end. We know the, the offense was missing some of their offensive linemen. Um, and I, I think there was some other players missing as well. But uh, did this one kind of play out how you expected? Or uh, were there some surprises along the way? No, it played out about how I expected. You know, I, I just...
1: USF had a lot of kinks to work out, like any team does in an opening game. But I kind of figured their athleticism and their speed would prevail, and it did. Uh, Jeff Scott said, when we got the Citadel, which is a triple option offense, having to go from side to side, we knew we were in pretty good shape. And and that's a, that's a credit to USF's defensive line. Uh, there's That's been a big question mark. Um, some depth questions and just experience questions on that defensive front, but they contain the Citadel dive play, which is a, the cornerstone of the triple option very effectively started making the Bulldogs go side to side. And at that point, you know, USF had the, had the game pretty well in hand. Uh, one thing that did surprise USF fans, no turnovers by USF and only five penalties. Penalties has been a, um, a huge issue with USF in recent years. And for them to come away on opening night with only five penalties for 50 yards, that's, that was a very uplifting statistic for Bulls fans. Um, you know, otherwise, n- not a lot of surprises. USF has some, some small, shifty, uh, undersized, or undersized may not be the, the right word, just smaller backs who can get out in space and do some things. And all those guys had a hand in, you know, USF accumulating more than 300 rushing yards. They took a couple of shots downfield, but not a lot. I think part of that was just a wet night. It, it had rained uh, it rained during the game they had a wet field and i think charlie weiss jr just wanted didn't want to brandish his whole playbook for the citadel so they only had uh, about their two top quarterbacks you know they had a three player quarterback derby in the in the preseason they two of them were available those guys combined for about 92 passing yards so we you know we may see a little bit more of the passing game brandished against Notre dame but No, this this game went pretty much according to script. It was a feel-good night for Jeff Scott, opening night. That's what they needed, what the program needed coming off a 4-8 and season. So I think everybody emerged pretty happy.
0: Excellent. So let's kind of dive into the offense here a little bit. You mentioned it. There was a quarterback battle in the offseason. Two guys took snaps. Was it Jordan McLeod and Noah Johnson took snaps on Saturday? um it appeared just looking at the stats it appeared one maybe a bit more of a thrower and the other one might be a little bit more of a runner is that true or and do you think this is going to continue do you think they're gonna continue with two quarterbacks moving forward
1: Uh, both of those guys are their best dual threats Jordan McLeod who started uh, you know 10 games last season Noah Johnson who's a local kid from the Bay Area but he, he was a grad transfer from Alcorn State put up staggering numbers in 2018 at Alcorn State, was that conference's player of the year. Last year, got hurt early in the season and didn't play anymore. Those two guys are dual threats. They can both throw. Um, they, they both improved as throwers. Um, just from the, the minimal clips that we've seen from practice, it looks like, you know, they, they both put a little more velocity on the ball. They're capable throwers. From everything we've heard, the best thrower of of this threesome is Cade Fortin, a transfer from North Carolina, who was listed as quote unquote unavailable. He was one of 12 unavailable players for Saturday. Uh, We're not sure if we'll see him for Notre Dame. We're not sure what his status is, but Jeff Scott has said he will be in the mix whenever he's available again. Probably not as mobile as McLeod and Johnson But everything we've heard about his arm just throws a a really nice, crisp ball. So it'll be interesting to see how USF's offense looks when Cade Fortin gets a few snaps. But, um, again, I think we'll see McLeod and Johnson, both of them Saturday in South Bend. You know, they can both do a lot of things when their pocket breaks down. They can be dangerous as, as runners. Um, But again, this past weekend, they were playing on a wet field. They were having success with the ground game. I'm not sure Weiss Jr. wanted to show a a whole lot about his, you know, what they can do downfield. So I I think, you know, if their line can protect them, and that's a huge if, I, I think we'll see, you know, them trying to do some
0: more things with their
1: arm and more things downfield this weekend.
0: Well, you mentioned it, they ran for over 300 yards. So let's talk a little bit about that run game um it, it looks like the the leading run man was was kelly joiner Eight carries for 87 yards is, is he the number one back or is it um is it a little bit more running back by committee i think starting out it could be a little bit by committee and and
1: who knows it could be that way all the way all the way through they don't have like a, a 225 pound bell cow guy that they can just hand the ball to and run power behind a a big physical offensive line so i think we're going to see Kelly Joyner, a sophomore, a really fast kid. Johnny Ford, 5'5", five five, a spark plug, a really fast kid who played mostly slot receiver last year when he, was, when he was eligible. A guy they can get the ball to out in space. And another similar player, Darian Felix, who's a transfer from Oregon. Uh, he's, a, he's another guy in the same old shifty, fast, not mm-hmm. terribly big a guy you know, very capable of running a jet sweep or getting the ball on a swing pass and doing stuff in space. So those are kind of three of the same type of backs that they have. And I I think you could see these guys going by committee all year, just simply because they don't have that Marlon Mack type guy that they had a few years back.
0: So we know that the ground game can be successful. It was a rainy day on Saturday, so the pass game didn't really get fired up. But who should Notre Dame be looking out for as far as pass catchers are concerned for the Bulls?
1: The most experienced guys, Randall St. Felix. This is his third or fourth year in the program. He's a junior. Uh, just for, for whatever reason, they tried to run a pro-style, sophisticated passing game with their coordinator last year, Kerwin Bell. And it just really never panned out. It just it never clicked. And I think that, that hurt the receivers the fact that the offensive line was very porous in 2019, just the quarterbacks were harassed consistently. So it just didn't afford a lot of downfield shots. And quite frankly, Charlie Strong challenged his receivers last year. And for, for whatever reason, it just, again, it just never clicked in the passing game. So Randall St. Felix is a guy who is capable, who really kind of came into 2020 like all the receivers with a tip on his shoulder saying, hey, you know, we, we, can, we are capable. So he, he's a guy that Notre Dame should watch for. Uh, he had four catches, just four short catches Saturday. They brought in a, a tight end from Northern Illinois, a transfer, Mitchell Brinkman. Uh, looks, has the same first name, same jersey number, same hairstyle, same body frame as their previous tight end, Mitchell Wilcox, who's now on the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad. Uh, they've got a tall, rangy guy, Devontre Dukes, who's about six foot five, a Bay Area kid who ne- really just had an underwhelming career at this point. Even pondered a transfer in the offseason. Jeff Scott encouraged him to stay. Uh, he had a couple of catches in the season opener, including a touchdown. He's a guy that could be reborn. And And another guy that Notre Dame fans should watch out for is Bryce Miller, their slot receiver. He's a local kid from Pinellas County, just across the Bay, just really was overlooked because of his size. He's a small dude, went to a tiny NAIA school in Central Florida, came, walked on to USF and contributed significantly last year, and has just picked up from where he left off, had three catches for 36 yards in the opener, Saturdays he he can be he's capable of being a dangerous guy in the slot he's got good hands so St. Felix Bryce Miller Trey Dukes and again those backs coming out of the backfield and making catches and doing stuff in space they're they're, they're you know that's a potent, potent option for USF going into this game
0: yeah it sounds like uh Charlie Weiss Jr. has some options there offensively at least at least some, uh, some pieces to the puzzle to work with. Um, you had mentioned the offensive line and how depth was a bit of an issue uh, last year. And I believe three offensive linemen were out uh, in game one. They were, I assume they were what, three of the 12 that were quote-unquote unavailable. Right. Um, so, number one, I, I know it's early in the week, but do you think those unavailable guys are going to be back? And then number two, if they're not back, what does the depth on that offensive line look like? Jeff Scott has given no indication if those three
1: linemen who happen to be the most experienced linemen in the program are going to be back. You know, again, the school only say they're unavailable, but in the COVID-19 climate, I think you can reasonably deduce why they're absent. Um, USF is testing its players three days a week. We don't know, you know, we have no idea if their absence is actually related to COVID. You know, it's just something that you can reasonably deduce. Um, And Jeff Scott has given no indication if those guys will be available. Yeah, depth is a concern. Um, The guys who stepped in for them, they had four freshmen, I believe, uh, starting against the Citadel. They played admirably. USF ran for... For 300 yards
0: yeah right but again
1: but again that was against a you know an fcs opponent and this weekend if those guys aren't available or even if those guys are available they're going to be facing probably the best and deepest defensive line they're going to face all year jeff scott even said it himself earlier today at his press conference by his count notre dame rotated 11 defensive linemen against duke yep. so when you can throw fresh bodies in there against, uh, you know, an offensive line that may be missing three guys, uh, may very well be starting a lot of young guys up there that just, you know, that that's a frightening mismatch. And I I really believe that's going to be, you know, the deciding factor in the game, you know, the point of attack, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball for USF. I believe it's clearly going to be decided there.
0: Well, let, let's jump to that the other side of the ball for USF then, um, with the defensive line. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about. The, I think there was a, a one or two guys there that were unavailable last week as well. So, what's the depth and the the talent like on the defensive line for the Bulls?
1: You know that that was a big concern of coordinator Glenn Spencer in the um, in the off season, and they had at least one guy who was unavailable. Again, we don't know his status, but you know, even when they have their full complement of players. This was an area where there were some question marks. You know, a couple of years ago, this this defensive line was stacked. Deidre Sanat, who's now with the Atlanta Falcons. Bruce Hector, who played with the Eagles and now was on the Carolina Panthers practice squad. Mike Love, who's, who was on the Bills roster last year. Just really, arguably, the best defensive front this program's ever had. Well, they've had to rebuild it. And they've... Never really approached the level that they had in 2016 and 17, and right now they've got a couple of guys who played a lot, a, a couple of guys who are very promising who haven't played a lot, um, and just you know it's a it's a numbers issue. On top of that, how many bodies can they can they rotate in? Just you know from from my cursory counting of you know just the participation sheet. From Saturday's game against the Citadel, it didn't look like they rotated more than more than four or five guys on that defensive front. And against a veteran offensive line like Notre Dame. Again, that's that that's a frightening mismatch if you're a USF fan. But to their credit, again, they stopped a very effective dive play by a veteran triple option team that has had a lot of success with that offense. So that's something to build off of but again this is gonna this
0: is gonna be a whole nother beast Saturday that they that they're faced with well you you talk about stopping the dive play and triple option and I know you know linebackers are pretty important to that as well uh talk a little bit about you know the second level of the defense and and the linebacking core for South Florida
1: yeah they they they're solid there um you know solid for you know American athletic conference standards I I think kind of the uh The cornerstones of that linebacker unit are two juniors, Antonio Greer and Dwayne Boyles. They, like a lot of other guys, were were thrust into playing roles as youngsters. And, um, you know, they were probably a little too undersized, a little too inexperienced for the role they were thrown into. But now they're juniors. They look the part. They look like bona fide division one linebackers. Antonio Greer had 10 tackles and a and a sack and, and a forced fumble all in the first half uh, Saturday against the Citadel. Dwayne Boyles didn't quite put up similar numbers, but, but again, he's kind of the anchor. You know, they would like to run typically, considering how Notre Dame like pro- probably run a lot of power. But again, you know, typically USF will employ three linebackers and, you know, Greer and Boyles, Greer in the middle, Boyles on the weak side a little inexperienced on the other, on the far side, but uh, Boyles and Greer are the two guys I think Notre Dame fans should watch for. I expect those guys to get a lot of tackles, you know, against the Irish.
0: Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, Notre Dame fans are a little skeptical, a little worried about is the wide receiving core for, for Notre Dame. And, and frankly, the, the Duke secondary gave him some fits um, uh, this past Saturday. So, should uh who should Notre Dame be looking out for, or Notre Dame fans, I should say, be looking out for in the South Florida secondary? The most
1: experienced guys, two senior cornerbacks. And this is probably the strength of the team right now. AJ Sales and Mike Hampton. Both of these guys will get a look in the NFL. I don't know if they'll get drafted, but they will they're certainly good enough to to get a look. They're they're capable of being locked down corners. Um so you know, I I think that'll be an interesting matchup. I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly what kind of scheme. Again, in this 30 float, I think we could see a lot of movement on the back end, just in an effort to confuse Notre Dame by the coordinator, Glenn Spencer, but two guys who will play and play every snap and will have pivotal roles and whatever that 30 float looks like will be these two corners, Sales and Hampton. Um, As the safeties, you've got Bentley Sanders and uh, Nick Roberts, they're both juniors. They played a lot of football. They're very capable. And the guy they call the star, which is kind of a nickel, but a guy who go, goes up and runs stoppage. You know, he's a guy who can just explode from that back end and go up and run stoppage. is a guy named Vincent Davis. He's only 180 pounds, but he's arguably, you know, one of the hardest hitters on that defense. They call him Smoke. He's just a very active guy. Seems the ideal kind of Kind of nickelback for a secondary that likes to be disruptive and likes to do a lot of movement so vincent smoke davis is another guy that i think uh you'll hear his name a lot saturday as they as they try to disrupt uh, notre dame's passing game but again you know it's all going to be vincent it's all going to come down to the line of scrimmage and if they can if notre dame has success running power and just blowing, blowing USF off the line of scrimmage with Kyron Williams. I think we could see a lot of that all day, just controlling the ball, you know, doing some screen passes, you know, with the screens that I know Notre Dame is very fond of. I wouldn't be surprised to see some seven, eight, nine, ten 10 play drives eating up a lot of the clock and just wearing down Notre Dame. I mean, whatever works.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, uh. You know, clock management and and eating up the clock is is a nice recipe for success for anybody. There's no doubt about that. Um, Is is there anybody on the special teams, a return man, you know, a a kicker uh, that Notre Dame fans should be looking out for?
1: Uh, USF has one of those Australian punters. Okay. How formidable Australian punters can be. His name's Trent Schneider. He's been in the program a couple years now. He's uh he's on the Rank Guy Award watch list. He's as effective as they come, as good a punter as, as anyone around. Um, where they're where they're struggling is at place kicker. They have not had an effective place kicker since 2017. They brought in Jared Sackett, a transfer from Arkansas, and Jared Sackett uh, played at UTSA a couple of years ago, transferred to Arkansas and didn't play last year and now is at USF. He made the Groza Award watch list. However, he got beat out by a walk-on, Spencer Schrader, a local kid, uh, in preseason camp. And Spencer Schrader got the first opportunity Saturday night and had a kick blocked. It was a high snap, it wasn't his fault, but had a 43-yard field goal attempt that just missed badly. Um, Jared Sackett was unavailable last week. Whenever he's available again, he's go- he's certainly going to get a look. They have a third kid on the roster named Kobe Weiss, who has done some kicking for them in the past, kicked a game winner on the last play of the game against Tulsa at Tulsa in 2018. So I wouldn't be surprised in, you know, if Kobe Weiss competes with Spencer Schrader this week in practice, and you, you may see it. You may see Kobe Weiss. Doing the place kicking, I'm just not sure, but th- that's the big concern. They, they I, I can't remember the last time USF has converted a field goal of longer than 40 yards. That has just been an issue for for the last. Now we're on our third season where place kicking has been an issue. Um, Jared Second may be the answer whenever you know he's cleared and made available again, but
0: right now that that's an Achilles heel. All right, that is awesome. Uh, Why don't you give me uh, a few keys to what you would consider a successful day up here uh, in South Bend on Saturday for the Bulls? Uh,
1: Another turnover-free game, not giving Notre Dame a short field because if they commit a couple of turnovers, if they, you know, let's say Notre Dame controls the ball, it's a seven nothing, ten nothing lead, then USF gives them a short field with a turnover, things can kind of snowball. So. USF badly needs another turnover-free game. They need a, you know, minimal penalties. Last week's effort, only five penalties, was very encouraging. If they can come up and play a clean game, you know, they have a chance to make this competitive. go into halftime with it competitive, and you know, we, you know, what college football is all about. We've seen it, you know, in these opening weeks. Anything can happen. Oh yeah. But, you know, if if um, they go up there. Commit a couple early turnovers, like I said, give Notre Dame a short field, play sloppy. This could snowball in a big hurry. Jeff Scott, I think, said it best. He said, you know, we don't have to go up in South Bend and play perfectly, but we have to play very, very well. And, you know, for any chance, USF is going to have to play very clean and very, very well.
0: Joey, that's great stuff. I really appreciate uh, you joining me on the Opponent Insider Podcast today. Why don't uh, you let everybody know, like, your Twitter handle, where they can find your work over at the Tampa Bay Times?
1: Yes, my, my handle is Times underscore bulls, and our website is Tampa bay.com. That's easy to remember. It's a yeah. Tampa Bay Times. It's Florida's largest newspaper. We've won a ton of Pulitzer Prizes, I don't mind telling you. Um, So, yeah, all my content can be
0: found on TampaBay.com. That's awesome. Again, that's Joey Knight from the Tampa Bay Times. And uh, next up on Notre Dame's schedule is the first road game against Wake Forest. So we will preview the Demon Deacons next Wednesday. So until then, thanks for joining me on the Opponents Insider Podcast.